Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. Who wins when we win? This question guides and drives our efforts as we discern who our natural partners are in our effort to create a food-secure state. We've discussed how health care wins, education wins, the community in general wins, and workforce, therefore, businesses win. When all of these sectors win, the state of Michigan really wins. It is encouraging the depth of our relationship with our state departments in partnership with our mission. The appointment of the Food Security Council by the governor, new projects and pilots with DHHS to address special populations like senior citizens, a partnership with DNR to provide deer protein for our network, and of course, we have worked well with the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. Their director, Gary McDowell, has been with us previously especially when our farmers across the state were faced with extreme weather conditions. During the pandemic, Director McDowell and his team searched high and low for food for our network at the height of need this past year. Now Gary and his fellow directors of state agriculture departments across America have set the goal of ending hunger in the United States. Wow! At their winter meeting, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture unanimously adopted policy to emphasize the importance of ensuring all people in America have the dignity of being food secure. This is great news. As more and more people in general and leaders in particular are coming alongside of the Food Bank Council to do this mission with excellence and passion. Director Gary McDowell joins Jerry Brisson and me next on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being with us. As promised, Director Gary McDowell rejoins Jerry and myself here on Food First Michigan. Director, great to have you back on the show. Well, thanks a lot, Phil. It sure is nice to be back with, with um, you and Jerry. Good, good guys. Well, we appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, it's quite the bonding experience that uh, the Food Bank Council and the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development have been through. And in my monologue that introduced the show, I, I talked about how you and your team really searched high and low at, the, at really the, the critical point of the pandemic when, when we didn't have as much food as we needed to distribute across the state. So I, I think this is probably my first time in public to say thank you for you and your team and, and uh, I mean, millions of pounds of food that you guys brought to us at the most critical time when we needed it. So we're, we're thankful. And I don't think that those two words, thank you, weigh enough to convey really our sense of gratitude. Well, thank you so much, Phil. And We've given out thank yous. Um, we just made a small part in this. It was the, our processors, our growers. And we um, sent the call out. And it was just met with enthusiasm and what can we do to help. Um, every call we made, it seemed to be um, almost like a competition. I can do better. I can do better. And when we're talking about thank yous, though, um, I can't thank you and your organizations enough. The small part we played was just in, just minuscule 
com compared to what you did. The demand on our food banks at that time was just unprecedented. Here we had a worldwide pandemic, and so many people were losing their, their income, and it just showed how many people are really food insecure, and it's so fragile, our food supply system. We've mm -hmm. seen that immediately when all of a sudden people are going to grocery stores and they're seeing empty shelves, and we're talking to our all our producers and farmers, and they were they had food, but they couldn't couldn't get processed because of the slowdowns there, um, the trucking, everything was just mm. at a critical juncture there, and the pandemic it did shine a light on a lot of things. Uh, how fragile! One thing was how fragile our food supply system is in this country, and mm -hmm. and I said you guys stepped up and just fed so many people at such a critical time that. Um, it's just just phenomenal what you did. Well, I'll tell you another another reflection about that. At least from a from a youper that grew up on a tree farm and and uh, had to had to watch the tree farmer figure out how to fix all his own equipment because no one's going to drive to the UP to fix it for him, right? I mean, I, I say that because you know the resilience of, of the growers and of the network of people in the food supply chain to try to figure things out while they're in the middle of some serious problems was really inspiring. And I, and I, and I will say again, you know, if, if you haven't hugged a farmer recently, you should get out there and hug one. They, well, I guess with COVID, you can't do that. Mask up and, uh, and give them a, you know, a visual high five, at least that. But, uh, but fundamentally, you know, we're really grateful for the resilience of so many people in that food supply chain who found a way to make things happen for us and for the people we serve. And, and Director McDowell, certainly the, the people that work for you and with you were part of that crew of people that just found a way. And, you know, of course, even, even a year later, we're, we're still finding a way, right? There's still things happening that, and uncertainty about, the, about some things that, um, that mean, you know, we're not done yet. But, but of course, that's part of the reason that, that we, we wanted to uh, have you on the show today was to talk about in the middle of all of this... You just came back from a meeting where there was a goal set to end hunger in this country. I mean, that's 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 a pretty audacious goal. Yes, um, we just had our NASTA meeting. That's the National Association of State Ag Directors, and um, and yes, and that was one of the policies that came out of that. And um, because once again, I just uh, goes back to the pandemic and how it shined a light on so many um, issues that we need to correct going forward. And NASDA did make a commitment um, to continue to emphasize uh, to all people um, in America the, the, how food insecurity is, is something that we just need to work on and try to eliminate. And uh, we, we made a promise to continue upholding our duty to grow and enhance American agriculture to nourish people and communities. And our our state departments of ag across the whole country have um, made a pledge to do everything that we can do, um, you know, to feed a hungry country, and to members to pursue eliminating food insecurity with renewed determination. Uh, so we're just um, we're also working with USDA, which I am so excited about over there with our new secretary and new administration. They're making food insecurity one of their number one priorities and working closely with the 50 states, with our departments, we feel we can make a real difference there. It's a long-term 
you know, goal. We're looking at um, 2030, but we're taking the first really big step here. And, and one of the things we're also looking at is food waste. It's estimated up to mm-hmm. 40% of the food produced in this country goes to waste. And, of course, it's many facets, but there are um, steps that we can take to reduce that. And just, Phil, you can imagine how many people who could be fed with the, with the food that is just thrown out in the oh. trash. It's, it's just we really need to take a hard look at that when we look at limited resources. Um, we only have so much topsoil in the world to, to continue to feed, the, feed our nations mm-hmm. and our, the world. And that's one thing we can really look at is reducing the waste. Um, we're done. So that's our, our goal. And also we looked at other things, too, like um, it's really changed NASA. We looked at uh, climate and being more cl- resilient in our real communities, what we can do there. And also with equity, diversion, and, and, um, and, and inclusion. In the ag community, so many of our farmers have been left out, farmers of color, minorities, and we're making a real commitment, too, to also uh, make sure that they get every opportunity possible to also produce food to, to feed the world. And we're looking at, like, urban urban ag. That's mm-hmm. a, We see a real potential there to help um, our inner cities. And it's more than just the food, too. Um, if you ever garden, which I think probably you guys have, we used to, I do, and it's um, also great for your mental health, stress reduction, um, um, planting your food, what are we going to plant in our garden this year that we can can, and and that's all part of food food security. So it it's, is. It's really a, a multifaceted group of recommendations that came out of NASTA, and it all stemmed really from post-pandemic. Well, we want to unpack some of those ideas with you, Director, um, in this next segment coming up. Um, You're talking about, you know, agriculture and food security and mental health. All of those things are linked together. When I know when I lived in Africa, I had we had to hunt for our meat. And some days we got hunted by our meat. (laughs) But (laughs) that's another story for another show. (laughs) But. You know, my idea of a good hunt now is what's on sale at Kroger. (laughs) So. we're we're just we're interested particularly uh, in everything you said but i think one of the themes that's popped up in the recent weeks of this show has been uh food waste and i think i think the number is 72 billion pounds of food that go to waste every year and you know jerry said this on the show and i'm going to steal this from him that we don't have to capture all 72 billion pounds if we could get the next 5 to 8 billion pounds, it would make a huge difference in food security. We want to unpack that idea with you and, um, and, and celebrate this great announcement from uh, the, the, your colleagues across the United States that have uh, unanimously adopted food security as one of your uh, number one policy concerns and where you're going to focus your efforts. He's Gary McDowell. He is the director for the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back with you in just one moment. Welcome back, everyone. Gary McDowell, the director of MDARD for our state uh, of Michigan, Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. Jerry Brisson, me, Dr. Phil Knight, we're all three with you. We're celebrating a pretty huge announcement that um, 
the the National Association of Agricultural Directors release put out a press release uh, just last just recently, and um, and there's also a link in that press release that said we were going to uh, really emphasize food insecurity across the U.S. and what these departments of agriculture could do to help solve this problem. But there was a toolkit also, Gary, that was was there, and I read that that was really started before the pandemic, that this was something that was on the hearts and the minds of the leaders of agriculture across the United States. And, and, and then, as you said in the, that first segment with us, that the pandemic just really shone a light on the severity of the problem of food insecurity across the state. So it's just a, you know, exciting for, for us to know that there are so many smart people coming alongside of us to help us address this scourge of food insecurity that's, that's in our nation. Yeah, we were really, um, really excited to, to come up with that. And you mentioned the toolbox. Yeah, we've been working on that for a while as directors across the country. And Michigan, one of the our tools that we were using, of course, it was we mentioned earlier in your segment about being that conduit here at the department between our producers, our farmers, and also uh, for the mm -hmm. Food Bank Council of Michigan. That was one thing to Michigan that we really highlighted there. And also our double up food bucks was something that the department's involved in. We're the ones that um, put that program, you know, the secure the, the local, the state funding for it. We get all those federal dollars matching, and or, and also the from the different foundations, and um, it, there's many states had different um, approaches to use, but it was all pretty much um, collaboration, working together, our state partners, our and also our federal partners, and um, many of the foundations that are committed to ending food insecurity, and bringing everybody together, and so we had a, a con. Uh, cohesive um, policies and approach to it. And it was, mo it was more than um, also looking at local food processing. Like right now, our, some of our, you know, our local communities out here in rural part of the state, um, we, we're really kind of floundering along. And we see if we can produce our food locally, process it locally, and then sell it you know, back to our local people, our local communities, we won't be in such a dire strait again if something came along like this pandemic, where um, as I mentioned, people are going to their grocery stores and seeing empty shelves because our meat processing in this country is controlled by five corporations, 80% of it. And we can move that back to our local communities. It would be not just that we know where our food is growing, we know it's safe. It was our neighbors who grew it, our neighbors who processed it, but also be economic opportunities for our real communities who, have, who really need to be um, revitalized, resilience shown, and, and we think this is a big part of the effort too, along with the urban farming, cottage food industry, our local food markets. Um, it, it's, all, it's all part of that, just getting back to, um, more back to what we can do locally back home instead of relying on international corporations to feed us. 
You know, Director McDowell, it's so much a matter of where do you want to put your money? Do you want to have somebody, you know, 400 or 500 miles away process your food and then pay for the transportation? Mm -hmm. Because you're, we're paying for it one way or the other to get back to those rural communities. But if you empower the local community to do more for themselves, it's not like it's a, it's a all-increase cost. You'll decrease costs in one place in order to put it somewhere else where it can be used more effectively. And I really do think that when, when you look at economies of scale – that only works so well when you have all the miles in between, you know, where the food is yeah. processed and where it needs to get. So I do think there's a genius there about, uh, you know, really rethinking how that system works, uh, you know, asking, asking how much can be done locally and realizing that it might not be such a big increase in cost, even when you consider the capital investments and other things that have to be made. I, I'm curious, do you see the, the Department of Agriculture trying to help with some of those capital investments or trying to attract them in different ways? Or, or how, do you see, how do you see that piece of it kind of coming together? Uh, the department presently, we do have a ag development division, and that's a big, just what you were referring to, Jerry. It's locally, local processing, local um, produce processors across the state of Michigan. And it's not just the great big operations, a small um, operation that maybe has 10, 12 employees right here in Michigan. And it may, creates new markets for our farmers. And like you're saying, when you don't have to to um, truck your product a long ways, that helps the margins for the farmers because the farmers need to make a living. That's probably number one. There was um, Secretary Vilsack was saying last week at our meeting that nine out of ten farmers rely on out, outside farm income just so they can afford the farm, basically. So we got to do something about that. We got to make sure the farmers can make a living. And if, and if the farmers are processing, um, are being successful, we can help that right in our local local communities with these ag um, ag development grants that we presently have. And we're also looking at right now, and Governor Whitmer has proposed it, is an office of real of rural development located right in the Department of Ag to really help um, with our local communities across the state with broadband, housing, infrastructure, and retaining talent. We're, you look at rural parts of the state and you look at the incomes are, are some of the lowest in the state, our education levels are some of the lowest, our um, access to broadband, and just having um, the opportunities for our families, our young families to grow and prosper in the rural part of the state. And that's another big part of NASTA. That was one of our um, commitments too. We call it resilience, the resilience of rural, rural America, rural Michigan. And that's um, it all all plays together, like with this office of rural development focusing just on the rural part of our state. Um, so I got to compliment the governor for making this move and realizing how important this is, mm -hmm. and just bringing it all together with what we talked about before, um, of just doing everything that we can do so that people in rural America um, can prosper and. And have a have like really a, just a good life that we all we all hope for. So let me just re rephrase something you said that nine out of ten farmers have to get work from outside the farm in order to be able to farm. So another way to say that is farming is so fun. Nine out of ten farmers are willing to pay to do it. Is that is that what yeah. I just heard? I guess um. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know if I'd call it fun, but um, it's just in your blood. Like that old saying, it's hard to get the farm out of the boy, you know. And um, I've, I've, I'm a good example of that. And, yep. um, but you mentioned earlier there about hard to get somebody to go to Barriga to work on your machinery. I'm kind of the opposite. I, I was farmed with two brothers for many years. And when I got this job, they were really excited about it. And at first I was a little... Um, why? And then I realized it because they're just thinking it's going to keep me away from the equipment. <laughs> the, farther, the farther away, the better. <laughs> but um, getting back to this, it is so true that it's just it's something that you're just obligated you know, to do. And you want, you want that farm to grow and prosper and be able to hand it down to the next generation and leave it a better farm than when you inherited it. And, and mm-hmm. we just family farm is getting just so hard as um to make ends meet and we just got to make farming profitable again if we can do that that will resolve so many of our other issues in rural sure. america um if the farmers are prosperous because every farm is like a small business on its own um supporting all the other aspects of your community your your business community your schools right across and um so the farmers can make money. If we have local processing for them, would be a big, big start. Um, and looking at, you know, with USDA now, it's taking a totally different viewpoint. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, Secretary Vilstack just really emphasized was we've got to make farming profitable again. And looking at trade deals that in the last few years that have really hurt the farmers' exports, we gotta start rebuilding those exports. We have markets just not here in America. We gotta expand our markets and there's so many opportunities overseas. So in the, and also in the department, we do have an export division, which has done a, just a great job. Last year, Michigan exported over $2 billion worth of food. Um, just, just past January, it was a record amount of milk was exported right. to Michigan and produced in Michigan. Over 200, over 2 billion pounds of milk were produced in January of this year, a record. Wow, wow. And, and their exports were up. Milk exports were the highest they've been. Um, so that's just an example of, and that's, in, in Michigan, we're always looking to develop new opportunities. Just this last year in St. John's, that um, $470 million cheese plant that went in there, called yeah, Midwest right. Cheese. Um, they yeah. think they buy 2.9 billion pounds of milk a year, employing 270 people in St. John's. Gosh. We, we're still exporting about 30% of our milk out of Michigan. So we're continuing to look for more opportunities there. And we see that as probably the number one way that we can um, revitalize and show the resilience of rural, rural parts of Michigan by having those markets for our farmers. Well, well, we love our Michigan milk producers. We love them. We work closely with them. They've done a ton for us. And I also just want to say the people that we serve that, that need food, that need emergency help, milk is one of the things that is most asked for in terms of what would help them get through the month. So that's a really important product to us food banks, too, and, uh, and some good relationships there that, that we can continue to build on and grow as we look at making sure our hungry neighbors have enough. I agree director with your brothers uh, <laughs> I, I i really like that the, the chair you're sitting in 
is the director for the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. Now, I'm sure you can work on a tractor, too, but I'm going to go with your brothers on this one because I think you're the right man, right person, right leader for this job right now. And all that you've talked about in your segments with us today, being a part of this national movement, having the ear of um, the new uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Tom, and uh, also, you know, the leadership you're providing inside the state to help grow not only the rural, but all aspects that really will help us fulfill this mission of creating a food secure state. So, Director, uh, I started with saying thank you, and I'm going to end the same way. Thank you for investing your one handful of life in this work right now for this for this time. Thank you. Well, well I can't say thank you enough for you, Phil, and, and Jerry, for what you're doing. Um, it just really showed this past year. It's hard to believe it's been a year now when we first started um, scrambling anything we could do to make sure that the food banks had the food we needed because there's so many people who are in such dire condition. And you guys did it. I don't know how you um, pulled it off. But <laughs> once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and my brothers, thank you too. Thanks, Gary, for being with us. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, Gary McDowell, Director of the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development. Man, that, that's a lot of work <laughs> that he mentioned. Uh, you said jam-packed in those two segments with the director. Um, I don't really know where to, where you want to start to unpack that. Well, I think, you know, my first, you know, kind of reflection about the conversation is that there's, there is a lot of work to do, but there's also a lot of people willing to, to do it. And, you know, Director McDowell mentioned some of them just right off the top of his head, right, as he was kind of walking through his notes and talked about the growers and the different kind of growers. And, and it really does add up, you know, all the people that can do something to make a difference and have already said we want to help, whether that's climate change or whether it's trying to feed the whole community or both. You've got a lot of people willing to step up to do something. And, of course, that's one of the main things that we say makes hunger a solvable problem is enough people want to see it solved. And, and we know none of those growers ever want to see the two words child and hunger go together, right? We know that's right. true. And so it's very exciting that the national conversation is moving in a direction of making this a priority. And, of course, you know, again, as as the director said, how could you not make this a priority after all we've learned during the pandemic? And mm -hmm. not only is it a fragile system, but so many people were affected by the pandemic and needed more than they've ever needed before. And it was nice of him to thank the food bank networks for our piece of it. But we're all part of the solution. Right. And that's so, you know, that's kind of my my, you know, right off the top reflection on, man, that was an interesting and really important conversation. Well, I'm really happy that he's a part of the Food Security Council, too, and, um, and, is, and participates and, and, and now can bring this item to uh, the Food Security Council like he's brought it now to uh, the Food Bank Council. And, and I think a couple of areas of emphasis or maybe uh, priority is, for me, is going to be about having a conversation with them about food waste. Like, what, what's a strategy we can develop 
as you said in a few weeks ago on the show, we don't need to get all 72 billion pounds of food that's wasted. What if we just got the next five to eight billion pounds? Okay, right, what's would... the strategy of that here in Michigan? And, uh, and how do we start capturing that food and getting it into our network? And what a difference that would make. You know, I think one of the one of the opportunities as we as we start looking at that issue is to really use the technology that's available to help every system be more efficient. I mean, it's not that we want farmers to grow less. It's more that we want to make sure that as they're out there harvesting, it's worth the effort to harvest a little bit more than they would have harvested otherwise. A lot of that 72 billion pounds of food waste is staying right in the field because there's nobody to pay the cost to harvest it, right? So our Michigan programs, particularly the Michigan Agriculture Surplus um, program that, that we have, that program is an example of how you spend pennies on the dollar you harvest those products, you get it to the food banks, and look at what the food banks sh have shown they can do during the course of the pandemic. We doubled the amount of people we reached, and yeah, we had to add some infrastructure, we had to add trucks, we had to add staff. It's not free, but we can do it. We can do it. So let's figure out how technology can help us understand this is what's left in the field. This is what it would cost to harvest it. Let's work together to get the resources to harvest it and feed our community for literally pennies on the dollar. Well, I don't think I could top that uh, that call to action right there, brother. So we're going to end this segment uh, for pennies on the dollar. How could you not invest in it? Uh, and, and rescuing food from the field. So uh, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we're back to wrap up this show in just a moment. Make sure and come back and be with us. Jerry and I are back. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Jerry, let's, let's, let's remind folks a little bit about the, um, the dilemma that we're facing. We just talked with Director McDowell about uh, lots of different initiatives that are even happening nationally, but hey, this is boots on the ground challenges that we're facing right now and one of those is we don't have as much food to give to distribute as we have in past months yet the need remains very very high yeah and probably will be for some time i mean i the the last thing i saw about the k recovery right and and what that means is there's a group of people who are recovering quickly from the results of the pandemic and another group that's recovering much more slowly right sure. so it turns out that a lot of the people who are in that group that's recovering slowly are also people who have very low wages to begin with. And so so the concern we have is that group of people is going to need help for a lot longer. And yet the news is very positive about, you know, the vaccines and the other things happening to open up the economy. And of course, we, we applaud all those things, right? We want the economy to be the main driver for feeding our community. It's the best solution. Well, it's not a fair solution for everybody right now. And so the food banks are really looking at a situation where a lot of the a lot of the donated food and a lot of the the special programs that were created to provide both food and funds for food banks during the pandemic are starting to wind down. At the same time, the need is not winding down. We're still seeing roughly the same level of need. The number of people coming for help, the number of people asking for help are still there asking for help. So 
what we're doing now is trying to, you know, take advantage of every opportunity we can, not only to let people know, hey, we still have a problem to solve. We still have hungry kids. We still have hungry seniors. We still have people uh, confined to their homes that can't go out and even shop for themselves, right? There's still issues that we're trying to address that are pretty serious. And so how do we put together um, the right partnerships and the right conversation so we can continue to provide food to those people who need it? So, Jerry, let's put this in perspective, just numbers wise. Be, pr- prior to the pandemic, like right a year ago from when this show uh, originally airs, we had about 1.3 uh, million people in the state who were food insecure. During the pandemic, that number rose to about 1.9. So about 600,000 people became food insecure during the pandemic that that were not as food insecure, you know, before the pandemic. So, you know, I hear a lot of talk about this, as you mentioned, this K recovery, and I can't wait to get, get back to normal. Well, wait a minute. I don't think there's 1.3 million people who were food insecure before this pandemic that are still food insecure during this pandemic are really looking back, looking forward to going back to normal. Yeah, that's right. Normal certainly depends on what that was for you, doesn't it? Exactly. And, exactly. and also want to want to make a point of saying, you know, it's it's not a static uh, reality either. Most people who are food insecure are coming in and out of it as they get opportunity to fend for themselves and they're more food secure and then they they fall into another issue or problem and it can be as simple as you know something happened at school and and now I've got to take time off work to go take care of that. Well okay that day off work made you go from food secure to food insecure that fast. Right. And there are a lot Mm -hmm. of people in those situations where even working two jobs isn't enough money to make ends meet. And then if you have to miss work for any reason, it can be as simple as a flat tire that puts you in rough straight. So I I, I think your numbers are really good to remember, doctor. One point three million prior to the pandemic, one point three million of our neighbors were struggling with food insecurity and not sure if they were going to have all the food they needed for them and for their families. That grew to 1.9 million of our neighbors during the pandemic. And it's even if it gets back to 1.3 million, that's a normal that's not very fun. It's, it's, it's not acceptable. And, and, and out of that 1.3 million people, about uh, 350 to 400,000 were children. Right. That's never acceptable. So let's don't, I mean, I don't think there are a lot of us that are saying, man, I'm looking forward to going back to have freedom to go out to eat and to gather. And, you know, uh, I I heard uh, Guy Gordon substituting this morning for Paul W. said, you know, the number one thing that 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 group is looking forward to is to be able to hug their their friends and their family and be close. But there's some things that were before, that existed before the pandemic that should not and food insecurity, even though it's heightened now, is should not be acceptable even then. Yeah, and I think fortunately some of the learnings in the pandemic are going to enable us to do a better job. We are going to do not just more, but we're going to do better, more and better. More and better is the formula that's going to get us to the solution to this problem. And and again, Director McDowell made it very clear there are so many people that, that are willing to participate in solving it. we got to marshal those resources and get the job done. 
I'm ready. And I'm ready for a little food for thought. We know at the Food Bank Council that solving hunger by creating food security starts in the field. The farmers and ranchers of Michigan have long stood alongside of us in our efforts to get more food more often to more people. Policy work is vital to this effort too. Lining up policies that impact people's ability to earn enough and get enough to be self-sufficient is hard work. But make no mistake, food solves hunger. Ongoing access to the right amount and the right types of food is the only thing that takes hunger off the table in struggling homes. You can't eat policy, but you can eat a Michigan apple. Hunger won't wait for policy change. No matter how good it is, how well intended it might be, hunger won't wait for change. We are working to address policies that make it difficult on people to become food secure, and in the meantime, we are getting more food more often to more people. And you can help us by giving of your time, talent, and treasure, and that will help us keep Food first, folks. Food first.